This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael. Now, crank it up. What's up, Grown Up Rock listeners? As Sonny and I recover from our Monsters of Rock cruise, we wanted to share an interview episode with you guys. We will be back next week to recap all of our adventures on the high seas for the Monsters of Rock cruise, so look out for that. In the meantime, I was fortunate enough to share a conversation with former Enough's Enough singer Donnie V. Donnie, now a solo artist, released Beautiful Things last year after the whole Pledge Music fiasco and everything that went on with that. Donnie was extremely gracious with his time, and as you will hear in this interview, he speaks his truth on all levels. We get into the recording of his album, Beautiful Things, the Pledge Music fiasco, his writing process, and we for sure discuss Enough's Enough. We talk about his relationship, or should I say, lack thereof relationship with Enough's Enough co-founder Chips Enough, who we had on the show a couple of years back. We also discuss the part social media plays in today's musical climate and how we both think it may do a little bit more harm than good for rock and roll. This is a long but honest and entertaining discussion with some great Donnie V and Enough's Enough music along the way to enjoy. So, enough about this episode. Until next week, peace, love, and rock and roll. See ya! Hi, this is Donnie V. You are listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with Stephen Hollywood. Welcome to the Growing Up Rock Podcast, Donnie V. Donnie, what's going on, man? 
Oh, not a hell of a lot and a hell of a lot at the same time. <laughs> well, that's what we like. The yin and yang of the record business. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just basically, uh, you know, rehearsing my new band for the, for the new live shows and, um, you know, doing a bunch of interviews and this and that and writing new songs, getting ready to release a, a brand new song to uh, breathe some new life into the, the Beautiful Things record because I think it's a really great record. And, you know, I don't want to start into a new record without that one uh, taking the full run, you know what I mean? And, uh, and you know, just take things forward because uh, I really believe in that record. I don't really believe in making any more records per se. I, I think I'm going to go with the... Uh, you know, releasing a, a song at a time now, a single, you know, it's more practical, it's way cheaper. And that's basically what goes out there anyway. You know, people don't really buy CDs anymore. You know, that's the thing of the past. And, you know, if you get enough of those singles put together, then you can throw them on a record or something. Yeah. So I want to definitely talk about the album, Beautiful Things, and I want to get into all of that. But before we do that, since you're the first time guest on this show, let's start at the beginning where we do with a lot of people. The show is called Grown Up Rock. I think I heard you say that your childhood wasn't particularly great. Was music an escape for you when you were a kid? Well, to say my childhood uh, wasn't particularly great would be to put it extremely mildly. You know, I mean, all the, all of the things, you know, the stereotypical bad childhood things, those were uh, textbook bad childhood, you know, all the, without getting into it, you know, the, the really dirty, crappy shit, you know, along with man, my father went out for a pack of smokes when, when I was two and never came back. He didn't even smoke. <laughs> you know, and yeah, and then before that, you know, during that time, you know, it's just my mother. She's not very uh, conventional and, uh, you know, so got passed a lot of shit. But music, since I think I was probably, I don't know, five or so, I mean, it always it always grabbed me. But by the time I think when I was a little bit five and older, you know, old enough to start understanding how I put together thoughts and uh, concepts and things where besides just. You know, I need my diaper changed. I need some food, you know, this and that shit. That's basically when it grabs me and thank God for it. I mean, it's a curse and a blessing, you know, because it's a really unrealistic goal from, you know, that age to think, you know, I'm going to eventually, you know, make it in the music business and this and that. When you have unsupportive things around you, it's not very encouraging. And so I kind of had to do a lot of that in my own head, in my own mind, in my own heart. And, just, I put the blinders on and I'm really focused and, and everything else in my life had uh, really taken a back seat. It still does to this day, you know, all the all of the usual normal things that most people have in their lives, like, you know, your wife and children and, and houses, you know, just finishing high school, all of that stuff, uh, you know, go college or whatever the hell, working jobs and things like that. I never really played a part in my life because um, I was so focused on this and that's what it took for me to do the job that I do as well as I do it. It's not always just some God-given talent that I was given considerably more of, you know, that, that I'm able to write this many good songs and sing this stuff, you know, as well as I do. And uh, it was hard work. And it was nose to the grindstone and knowing very young and believing very young that by listening to my Beatle records and, and things like that, and then some more stuff from that era, you know, we had this, I had this, this double record thing that was uh, hits of the seventies <laughs> because, you know, I was born in the early sixties, 64, but it really, I really wasn't besides the Beatles and the stones and things like that. I really wasn't 
doing anything until I basically the 70s is when I was really starting to hone into this stuff. So I did hits of the 70s and all those those radio singles and stuff that, you know, plus listening to them on the radio. And in all of that, the Beatles is what I studied like a textbook and like a like that would have been like grade school, middle school and good part of high school for me is in relation to somebody else studying this and that. If they're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or any of that stuff. I would have never guessed you studied the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's see, that's where I learned. And it was embedded into me song structures, the way melodies flow well into other parts and um, lyrically and little vocal inflectuations. Because vocals is also, besides songwriting, which I've, I've got, I don't know how many songs under my belt. Probably I'm going on like over 20 records now that uh, I've written and sang all in. How and where did you decide you could sing and play guitar, though? When did that come into the picture? Well, singing came into the picture right away. You know, anybody that, every kid sings, you know, along with their the stuff they like to play or the stuff they hear. Every kid sings, you know, I took it a step further. And just for some reason, just was picking up these little vocal fluctuations and nuances and the way they were, the words were rolling off the tongue and the way to, you know, sound, have that sort of sound. So I, that was my main thing that I, I focused on, you know, and I did a lot of in the mirror private concerts for myself where inside the mirror was a hundred thousand people. You know what I mean? And so, and that was usually just either a piece of wood nailed to another piece of wood with some drawn strings on it or, uh, you know, or just a couple of old hand-me-down beater guitars that were laying around at my grandpa's that were, were my uncle's. And, you know, just stand there in the mirror and sing And, you know, sometimes sing along, singing along with the records, sometimes, you know, singing by myself, you know, but the, it was like little performances. And so, you know, unaware of the fact that I was actually, you know, honing a lot of skills at that time, like the way your face looks when you sing something, the way... Uh, the way you look when you're playing an instrument and singing, there's a lot of things that, that go into that, you know, and guitar was something, you know, I'm a pretty lazy guy when it comes to studying and uh, education and stuff like that. You know, that this was, I considered more of a passion. So guitar came way later. <laughs> I didn't actually learn how to play the guitar till it was impossible for me not to. I, I had joined a band. And just because I wanted to be in one so badly, I think at about like 13 or so. And and uh, I joined as the guitar player because they needed a guitar player. And I was like, I didn't know how to play guitar yet. Rehearsals were in two days. So I went, had to go home that night, bought a Ernie Ball Big Note guitar book. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Sure. And yeah, the Ernie Ball Big Note guitar book. And, uh, and a set of strings is I had a, had a beater guitar laying around and a set of strings, learned how to string it, tune it. And um, how to play uh, Rocky Raccoon and Twist and Shout. Wow. All within two days. <laughs> yeah, and I came out of the, the box sucking really badly. You know, I mean, I couldn't play the guitar very well at all. But but uh, at least I was up and running. And then, just, you know, it just started adding and adding and adding. And to this day, I'm still not a great guitar player, especially live. You know, but I get the job done. But, I, you know, my main instrument is singing. But. Yeah, it was, it was really young. It just kept going, going and going. And, and nothing else took any kind of importance. You know, uh, the, the older I got, the more I saw that uh, I wasn't interested in putting into the effort or anything that, you know, most uh, high school classes and things like that had to offer me or where I was in, or being interested in. 
you know, this was the only thing that I was interested in. And that's, I believe, if you want to be something or do something ever in your life, that's the kind of dedication and focus it takes where everything else is kind of tuned out, you know, take a big backseat to that. And those just happen to be the requirements that you can't avoid, you can't get around. But when your heart's not in those, you have no interest and you just absolutely want to pick up nothing from those things except, you know, of course, reading and writing and mathematics so you so you can see how everybody's ripping you off to like extent you know so you, you need those yeah. and a little bit of english to how to how to speak you know intelligently and so that's the way that you you get to be uh be as good as i don't know not toot my own horn but i think i'm really fucking good at what i do here you know and that was my goal was never to be a rich and famous or a big rock star my goal was to one day write and sing some songs that i thought would be in the ballpark at the level of a lot of the things that I grew up loving and studying wanted that was my goal was to was to teach something that when you listen to it you know sounds in that same league as those bigger things and and I do believe that I did achieve that and still and I'm still growing I'm still learning and still getting it better and better and you know and I keep evolving that's the name of the game if you're you know there's a lot of big bands you know that most of them that if you go see him live or the records, you really don't. The later records, you know, it's the hits and the, the ones that everybody knows are the ones that, you know, that uh, are the key. And, and and I think that bands have like three or four at the most really great, strong records, unless you're the Led Zeppelin or the Stones or the Beals or stuff like that. And, you know, and then the rest of it starts to kind of decline. But let's talk about that a little bit. So what I heard you say was that, Money and fame, that was never the goal for you. The goal was to write music, play music. Let's say enough's enough never really happened. Let's say that Donnie V has just been a great songwriter, singer, and it sounds like maybe you play guitar out of necessity for maybe helping with your writing. Well, I play, I play everything out of necessity. You know, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none, vocals is my main instrument. But yeah, I play everything. And in the studio, I'm quite competent. You know, I play all the guitars. And after Derek left and was out of the band, I played all the guitar, all the solos, all the guitar, all the structuring, all the keyboards, all the, the pianos, the, the, the vocal harmonies, and almost everything except for the bass and the drums. You know, so I do that, and I'm still doing that on my new records. You know, so if that had, say, you're saying that had that not happened, it, it basically didn't. <laughs> it was here and gone so quickly, and and then it, that's basically what it was. And you no, know, and so I reached my goal of no rich and famous, <laughs> and uh, not being a rock star, but just being being what I set out to be. And um, you know, luckily that did happen for a while, so it gave me a little bit of a platform to build from. But you you wrote a lot of I wrote it all. You wrote it all. So so yeah. that's a lot of albums. Yeah, according to copyright law. I actually, unless it's something that Chip was singing himself on the records, which which there's one song that appears on the later latest Enough's Enough record that not this new one they released now. That's I don't consider that Enough's Enough record, but uh, like something he just actually I didn't know was even going on the record or ever heard before. So I got a copy of the record, you know, things like that. So no, I didn't didn't write those, and and you know a lot of the collaboration with him, you know, he have a kind of an idea or something like that, and I would hear it. You know, there's very few where he had had the main, the bulk of the song, you know, the blueprint or whatever of it, the, the meat and potatoes. And I would just round it around, you know, that, that never really happened, you know, as a few chorus ideas or maybe a verse idea. And I would take that and do my thing to it. 
you know, which is a lot of fun for me. I like to collaborate, but there wasn't a hell of, there wasn't anywhere near the amount of that going on as people have been led to believe. And uh, that's been difficult for me. Now it's very difficult for me with, with that band uh, being out there and doing their 30th anniversary world tour of just the bass player that, you know, the rooster on the cornflake box is basically what he was. <laughs> and, uh, and three guys that nobody's ever heard of and haven't played on any of those records, you know, and they're out there touring around and, and, you know, and he's still doing, making all his claims to, I did this, I did that, this and that, this and that, this and that. And then out there and, and being the, the guy and stuff, the people are buying it. And it's kind of difficult for me, you know, but I have to, you know, just shut that out of my mind and move forward and know in my own heart and mind what I did. Well, you know, that's why we'll give you a platform. I interviewed Chip, I don't know, a year and a half ago or so. And, you know, he never came out and said, he never had anything bad to say about you personally. No, well, that's not in his best interest. No, he never had anything bad to say about you. He just, you know, he basically kept calling you his brother. Yeah, well. And that was the bottom line. Yeah, that, that, that wasn't the case. I thought it was, and I really wanted to believe it was, because like I said, I grew up, you know, really pretty alone and yeah. stuff and uh, very insecure. I didn't, wasn't going, I wasn't on the sports teams because I wasn't any good at it. I didn't care about it. I could have been okay at it, but I didn't care about that. And, you know, just having a brother, once I started writing and singing, getting a band, need a band, and needed a guy, he fast-tracked me from a very amateur status to being able to uh, play on a stage with, you know, professional musicians and play packed houses and, you know, and use all the skills and everything that I'd worked so hard on up to then. And, and there was a little collaborating going on at that point. And I did feel of him as a big brother. I didn't quite see things as clearly, you know. Um, we needed each other as much as, you know, I needed him as much as me at that time. But as things started to go on, I started taking on a lot, lot more and then more and more. And it snowballed up to where I was basically doing everything. And uh, the big brother thing kind of uh, became just, uh, I don't know, more of a just a saying or something like that, because, you don't you don't watch your brother drown and, uh, or things like that's your brother. You don't uh, you don't treat your brother like that. And. You know, I want to love them. I do. And, and I do in my heart. I just. Do you have any kind of communication or relationship no. with Chip? None? No, no, no. I've reached out and tried to a couple of times. He's really not interested in that. He's, his uh, agenda, and it has been for many years, even before I left that band the first time, which was like 2000, 2001. His agenda has always been to, you know, he wasn't happy with focusing on on his strengths, things that made him so great. Because he's, I think, the best power pop bass is probably in history of playing bass, you know. And um, and as far as getting out there and promoting and kissing hands and shaking babies, <laughs> you know, he's a pro at that. But he's, you know, he's kind of a windbag. And he, if you did an interview with him, I'm sure you you probably uh, realize that you're, you're basically just getting the same interview that you've seen and anything that he's done before as he's kind of got a, a stock. You know, he's, he's like a politician. You know, he says he's, it's like something that's embedded in and, you know, because when you talk to me, there's a lot more depth because I'm the artist. I don't consider him to be an artist. I consider him to be more of in the rock star realm and, and a player who, who wishes he was an artist more and, and would like to be thought of as one. And so that's the way the light he tries to show himself in. And he's not really interested in, because uh, it's difficult in that position and to deal with a, with a guy who actually is doing everything. It's, I guess it's a ego thing for him or whatever. And um, just wasn't happy with that. So now he's out trying to do my job. And if you're not focusing on your, on your strengths, 
you're showing your weaknesses. I believe that he's he's very content, very happy to be doing this because he's working. He's squeezing every last drop out of out of the heart and soul that I put into that thing. And um, you know, but that's good enough for him, you know, and that, and he is not interested in uh picking up and evolving and taking something a brand new level or anything like that. And that's all my interests are is to keep evolving and to keep progressing and to uh make the next venture and the next record and keep doing that. Make sure that the next one you do lives up to the last one. Or I prefer to be better than the last one. And in my eyes, the songwriting and singing and production and stuff, I believe that's grown from the first record all the way to beautiful things. And I believe this is the absolute best thing I've ever done. But no, there's no there's no communication because I feel so violated and so upset with him. And you know, it's like somebody goes and you know, you want to retreat or something, you come home and somebody your partner or whatever that that was working with you had moved into your house with now fucking your old lady and your children <laughs> were calling him dad, took your your bank cards and your credit cards and stuff, and he's out doing all that, and you're like, What the fuck? And, and you can't even do it. You can't even be with your old lady in your house or any of that anymore because he's moved in and done that. You know, I mean, that's the that's how I feel about this. And at the same time, leading people to believe that, no, that's he just says that with his, you know, we shared his old, we shared the old lady. That was, you know, it was a menage a trois relationship. We had, you know, we bought that house together. This was a bank account. You know, it's just, you know, it's just, that's all, that's the way, way I look at it and feel about it. And, and if anybody else, if you thought about things in that, in that light, how would you feel about that person? You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, most people have that guy's legs broken and kill him. <laughs> I don't do that. Have you heard or do you have any interest in hearing the band's last album? What do you think? <laughs> Have you heard it? Well, yeah, I've heard it. You, would you call it an Enough Enough record? I guess there would be, if I were you, if, if I were in your shoes, I guess there would be probably that amount of, I don't want to hear it or be even near it, but then there would also be that amount of curiosity that, okay, let me hear what he's no, doing. Yeah, there's no curiosity for me because it's exactly, to the T, exactly what I would have expected it to be. You know what I mean? I know the extent of his skills and I know the extent of his, the quality of what he does on his own. Cause I, that's been, you know, 25, 30 years of, you know, trying to, to do stuff with that and what it was. And so I know it. So I, I knew exactly what the record was going to be. And I think if, if had it not been for uh, all of its predecessors for the 13 records, great studio records before it, maybe I would look at it in a different way and just look at it for what it was all by itself. But it's not been presented as, it's something that's all by itself. It's being presented as the new Enough's Enough record. And the new Enough's Enough record, it may not have a lot of fame and fortune, but it's held in regards of uh, all the Enough's Enough records as being a lot of integrity and a great reputation of making great sounding records and, and, and really great songs. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm not able to think of it that way. And I don't believe that that record is that. And uh, to put it on top of all of those things, which I worked so hard and believed that to make them evolve and keep continuing to be a better record and a better record, which is rare with, with a lot of artists to, to, at that point, after 13 records, still be making their best record at the 13th one. You know what I mean? And the fans feeling the same way. The ones who still knew who we were, you know, is after the the major label shit and everything like that. Most most of the fans, you know, they don't hear something that's out there and free, think you died in a plane crash. Just don't even think about it again till Hair Nation or something like that, you know. But that's how I feel about it. I don't feel like it's an enough enough record. I don't, I don't feel like it deserves to be called an enough enough record. 
it sounds exactly like what he did on his own that I would do my thing to. So he doesn't have me there to, to turn those ideas into, into what they were turned into when I was there. And so it, it you know, he's singing the lead vocals on all of it now. And, yeah. you know, lead vocals, uh, the sound of his, his uh, lead vocals is never, <laughs> you know, it's never soothed the savage beast in me. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know what I'm talking about. It's not, it's not an enough enough record and, and the way that he's gone about everything and the amount of consideration and respect that he has shown me throughout these years, you know, the last years with him and, and throughout the years without him makes me like, why would I even try to take that high road and, uh, and to uh, embrace it and, and, and encourage him in this and that? Because now there's too much audacity, there's too much violation, there's too much uh, taking. You know, and, and and then he's going, he's using a platform building from, you know, all the hard work and everything that I did created. And he's taking that as a launching platform and, um, you know, the name, the name brand, everything and going forward with that, which is kind of a, is kind of cheating. You know what I mean? Does he own the name? Does he own the name Enough's Enough? When I was in, uh, went into uh, an extensive rehabilitation program. Because I was, you know, basically at, at the point where I was going to die and wanted to die. And so God stepped in, you know, and, and made some things have to change. And that's when I was ready for that and I accepted it. While I was doing all that, he went behind my back and trademarked the name, you know. So now he owns it. He's the one that legally is entitled to use it, though I would not use it anymore because I'm, you know, I'm past that. And I don't, I don't want that stigmatism of the actual image that people associate with it because they don't associate the last 15 years of the announcement up. They associate it for the first two, the first record or the look of that and in, in the era that it came out, which was the late eighties, mm-hmm. you know, the hair bands and the cock rock and stuff. And that was not, I was not one of those. Absolutely not. But, you know, everybody makes mistakes. And I was young and inexperienced, but you know, in my, my gut feeling was never, my instincts were always telling me this isn't, I shouldn't be in this. You know what I mean? This is not what I should be in. And, and this is going to be, a, this is a fad. And what I, am I, I'm going to have longevity and, and, and I should have made card my own niche, but who walks away from a $12 million eight record deal when you're, you're 20, you know, with a band and said, no, I don't believe in that as much because I still could do my own thing. And I had all these great players playing with me. And it was it was launched. It was often into a cyclone. You know what I mean? And you still embrace the music you wrote during that time period, though, right? You don't you don't regret the material that you wrote on those, let's say, first two albums, right? No, I, I don't regret it because it's the same thing that I do now. It's it's the best that I've got to offer, writing wise and vocal wise, as as I had then. You know, I was a kid, I was a baby, and so I consider it much. You know, as you grow, you get better at things, you get better at things. And so it's just, it's like looking back at, you know, like whatever you did, it's like looking back at when you were 20 compared to now. And, you know, so you look back on it and it's like, is that the thing that you embrace the most? No, but you don't count it out. And I was doing the same thing I do now, just only it was being shaped. It went through a a cookie cutter that, that shaped it in a different form you know it had different costume on it (laughs) well i think you have different life experiences so from a lyrical standpoint i think there are lyrics that would take place back in the late 80s that might not take place today because you've got 30 40 you know 30 years 
to add on to your life that are going to change and shape the way that you write lyrics. So from that aspect, I completely understand it. But then, you know, I mean, I can listen to you perform acoustically one or two tunes from those first couple albums. And to me, they stand up every bit as good today. You know, the to me, a really good indication of a great song is when you can take a song and strip it down to nothing but a piano or an acoustic guitar and vocals. Dude, that's that's funny to say that because that's my exact analogy of a great song. That's exactly what I've always say, you know? It sounds great. I mean, there are songs that I hear today that were done with a full band electrically that are a completely different song from when the artist takes it and just plays it on an acoustic guitar or piano. But the melody is so freaking good that you're like, holy shit, this song is really, really great. And so that's kind of what I've always said from the get-go. Now, let's get back to you becoming a solo artist. What is it like building a solo career versus being a part of a band, being a part of Enough's Enough? How is it different? What are the challenges for you? Well, first of all, seeing as how that all of the fame and the hype and all of that stuff, the machine and everything was came and went so quickly with the band. You know what I mean? Um, you know, after the, by the time of the third album, after that, it was all indie. We were, you know, we joined the indie world, but it's, it's, it's not much different because I took on the, the lion's share. What I did have though, was a little bit of the reputation in, in the brand name to work with, which gets work. You know what I mean? People it's been on, it's had number ones on MTV. It's been all over the radio. It's done really well. And so you got that to work with, you know, you're, not just starting up a new company, which I'm doing now, but I still kind of have that to work with. But like I said, he's using, he's got the name and he's out there doing that. If I wanted to use it, I don't give a fuck who owns that name. I know, I know who's entitled to that name. And I would, well, do what are you going to do about it? Chase me down, whatever, you know, but I don't want to use that, but I am using like maybe the, the peace sign or the font of it to just let people know that who I am and from that. So people don't necessarily recognize the name. You know, I mean, as far as recording and writing the songs, I'm doing the same exact thing. I played all the stuff in that one. I wrote all the songs in that one. I sang all the parts in that one. That's what I'm doing now. I'm just not getting cock blocked on my creativity and uh, things that that other people don't understand. So that's it doesn't it's not an importance to them. Well, I'm able to now not have that handicap. You know what I mean? Right. And um, and so that's why I'm able to do present myself exactly genuine and authentic and exactly how I want it to be present, how I'm satisfied with the, the results. And um, that's the difference. It's, it's, it's much better in the creative way, business-wise. It's a lot more responsibility and a lot more difficult. And um, you have to really go back to the bottom rung of the ladder and work the way back up. And at 50, 55 years old, you know, that's a hell of an age is basically to be to be having starting to have children, you know what I mean? They're kind of looking at that that way. So it's a lot of work, you know. Now today I've got my head together. I never did. Yeah. I never did in that band. I mean, I was fully aware. I knew there was, you know, people like, oh, you threw it away because you're you're partying this thing. No, I was doing that to deal with the frustration right. and the fucking, you know, the depression and all this and that. That not only was killing me creativity, creative wise, but was uh 
the way that the, the downward spiral that everything was continued to go on and all the decisions and all of the different decisions and things that got presented about what I do be presented in a, in a complete opposite costume than what I should have been doing. And I always felt that way. And, and you get to a point then, once you got that, that name brand and once that's who you're known for and this and that, you're stuck, you know. And as much as I tried to branch off and get on my own early out of necessity to eat or pay your bills or something, you got to go back and, you know, the next tour, it's like, okay, you know, and it's just your own thing continues to be just a, a hope and a wish in your mind for a dream one day because you got to continue doing that shit. But I'm a lot more happy with the, the results and, and anybody that's a, that's a fan and really uh, understands as a loyal fan and loves the music and all this and that and understands what's going on there. They all believe that what I'm doing now is much, much better. And uh, that's just because it's, I'm allowed to do that now. Oh, 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 
Well, I mean, the musical landscape obviously has changed so greatly over the course of the last 10 years. You kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier in the conversation, which is you feel like Beautiful Things might be the last album that you make from here on out. You may just release singles or maybe even EPs or something like that. What is your perception on the musical landscape today? Well, the obvious perception that anything special and magical and wonderful about it is gone. All of the wonderful things about the about the musical business, the whole thing, you know, it's it's just gone. It's not there's there will never be another Led Zeppelin or the Beatles or anything like that. There'll never be another Aerosmith. There'll never be another classic huge artist anymore ever again because it's not possible for that to happen. There's just too many. It's just too much quantity out there for the for the amount of of quality. And I'm not saying I'm not knocking any of the artists today, but there's just there's not the there's no rock and roll market. You, it's hard to find a rock and roll club that, that just isn't you know like a cover band thing on the weekends. There's no rock clubs really that very many of them to so to speak that that you can go perform at. You know what I mean? There's none to go to. Right. There's no major labels that are pushing pushing new rock and roll like rock and roll itself is not rock and roll anymore it's uh alternative i think yeah alternative and i think that that started happening in the in the mid 90s and i don't think that it's evolved since then you know obviously there's a newer newer artists that they slip into slots and stuff but it's not like one takes uh replaces the other just one gets added to the other and before you know it you i as far as i concern there's you know then there's two or three hundred bands that sound to me like the first one. That's the way it looks. You know, I mean, when you start out with Stone Temple Pilots and things like that, I loved that. I really loved Scott and Stone Temple Pilots and Nirvana for how, how short a time it was there. And and then the offshoot started coming um, like Tool and things like that, those things, which is really good band. But then there's there's 100, 200, 300 more of those that sound that are just in basically the same band with just different artists and a different singer and stuff. And with the YouTube and things like that and all that shit, they just keep adding up and piling up until it's impossible to get found in any of that stuff without any kind of push or advertisement. You have to trip over me to find me. I mean, it is definitely a smoky jar. I think that there is an overwhelming amount of material out there to your point there was what there was around 10 labels in those days mm-hmm. there was 10 labels. So there's, and there's only like on a baseball team, there's only that many positions available to be filled. So you had to be one of those guys. You had to make it to there to be on that label and in that position on that team. Now your DJs and stuff were actually people who were worked their way to a point of where they had a good grasp of what was good and what was not and what they, and they would, you know, responsible for, you know, all the records and everything that the labels would all send them listening to and saying, this one here really moves me, I believe. And then, you know, playing it, spinning it and moving other people and like just the same way it did him and confirming that. And then it grew. But there's no more DJs that are even when I was in the band, we first started, there's DJs weren't weren't able to get a bunch of things and decide and choose on their own what, what they wanted to hear, and what they wanted to play, which, you know, and so it was basically. They get a thing. Here you go. This is what you're playing now. Which would be fine. But radio got to the point to where it was so freaking corporate. You know, I mean, listen, 
we can't argue the fact that radio kept playing the same damn two or three songs from artists when you and I both know that there were way there was way more material on those albums that was worth listening to than just those two or three songs, right? Yeah, that became that became a situation and is a situation now where there's it's so limited the amount you know, you got one space in there for a rock band. You got one space in there for a classic rock band. So that there's there is no way you know, unless you, the major, major, major labels are, and they're machines nowadays, manufacturing what they, what they look at. It's all on paper. It's all business, right? Well, this is making me money. This makes us money. So let's continue to do this. Let's continue to, to make this product only in, in different type, different names and different, it looks different and this and that. So that's what they're doing. And all of the, the people that built this business all started out as, as a passion for this. And, and it was the music. That was the whole reason for everything. There's that's not the case anymore. There are no. It's hard to se- even separate the genres to, at this point. Like with country and rock and pop or whatever they call it, stuff. All kind of getting into a, one melting pot. And so you really can't put a put a, a name on most of this. What they call pop nowadays, I consider that what would have been you know adult contemporary hit radio is the equivalent of that. Yeah. You know, it's like there's there, these artists aren't aren't writing and, and, and crafting their, and honing their own stuff from since like like the bands, the great bands done there. They're basically slipping into it's a new voice and face that slides into the same seat that somebody else was in. And they're here today, gone tomorrow. And, mo- and there's so many of them that you really got to be a young kid or something to even know who any of these things are, you know, and to even know the difference between one or the other. If today's society and today's kids and today's listeners were being fed the stuff of, of the you know the great days then that's what they would be digging they would be digging that because the lion's share of, of listeners they dig what you're what you hear you know it's there's the a majority of people of listeners don't go digging for their own things they just listen to what's what's on the radio what's on the this or that or what everybody else digs that's what what's all changed about everything you know it sounds like the same same 10 guys are writing everything and producing everything for all of the artists nowadays. Well, that's one of the things that I like about a good podcast. The podcasters that I know and the podcasters in my rock and roll community are passionate fans that have a good knowledge base and are willing to ask the different questions that every radio station doesn't ask and play deeper stuff that we think people should hear, not just because some corporation right. is telling us. Steve, you're the, you're the only hope. You're the only salvation, and the only uh, thing that's left from that, just keeping that from from completely being extinct, is is guys like yourself and your show and other ones that you know similar. But you know, you know just as well as I do that there's so many of those too. So to to have your show, your own show, rise up. And ha- and have the popularity that it re- that it deserves. You're in with a you're in a slot with probably hundreds of thousands of other ones. You know what I mean? Because guys do their, guys do their own, do it from their bedroom. And like you said, some it's making it sound good. Well, some of them don't. You know, so you're the only saving grace that's left for for real artists and, uh, and people that want to hear hear this continue to go on. What they used to, what used to be their DJs and the and the 
radio and stuff without having to be fed this shit and it all being a money deal. And here's your new playlist and you play this because <laughs> this is what it's your job. You play this. If you don't do it, we'll get somebody else to do your job. And, and anybody could do the job they're doing. Yeah. Anybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, you're original. You're unique. And you do it like the old DJs did it and the old labels did it. That's what I love so much about these podcasts. And that's what, uh, you know, it's like I asked you, you know, how many followers you said around the world and you've been building a good reputation. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing. That's what's special. And that's what, thank God for you. And thank God, you know, as in, from an artist's point of view, thank God for you, man. Yeah. Thank God for, uh, there's several, several of them out there and there are several good ones. And, you know, I honestly think with time, eventually podcast will be the radio of the future. I believe, I think it is already. Oh, well, it's definite the way that the stats grow for podcast listeners versus five years ago is astounding. It's ridiculous. Let's talk about the new album, Beautiful Things. To people who are looking for enough's enough in your solo career, I think that, that it's there as far as melodies and vocals are concerned, but you wouldn't find, say, the heavier guitar sound that was associated with some of the enough's enough stuff. Was that a conscious effort on your part? Is that just, that's not who you are anymore, right? It's more about the melody. It's never really been who I am, but the first time I plugged the guitar into an amp and you hear that power of a rock sound, you know, and that, that crunch and stuff like that. It always has moved me. It still moves me to this day. I did consciously not do it. Cause what that is, is, uh, for the way that I write and the way and the songs that I structure and stuff, what that is, is it's basically a big, uh, cheaper replacement for and all of the production and all of the instrumentation and orchestration and stuff that I put into things. You can take one big chunky, you know, electric guitar, put it through, a, put a lot of gain on the amp and there you don't hear the room for any of that other stuff. So, so that replaces all of these things that I'm putting in there, all these instruments and all these parts and stuff, it replaces production. And yeah, I mean, I, it was, it just got so embedded into me that they continue to do that. But if you listen to the songs of through the, through the years of how it evolved enough enough, you can hear that that became less of a factor and on the really great songs that the, the diehard fans really love, it almost doesn't even play into it. It's just what it's, with those first couple of records, you, even with strength, it was very difficult to incorporate like the, the strings and the horns and the different instruments into, you know, the Antichrist's guitar. You know what I mean? And so to put those together is why, why a lot of artists will, will hold strength in such a, a regards of like it was. It was like a really special way of how we we found a way to incorporate that with the big guitar and stuff. Well, these people need to think that because they appreciate that so much that they actually it isn't that big guitar necessarily that's that's drawing them in, except for the, you know, because enough enough sat on a fence, sat on top of a fence post of, you know, the, the metal and hard rock listeners and lo people that loved the band loved a certain element of it that was due to Derek Frigo and that style of sound and weren't didn't really understand or or feel the pop melody sense of it and the melodic sense of it, which in the other side of the fence, the ones that really like the songs and the melodies and stuff like that, weren't feeling the heavy guitar. You know what I mean? And so we were stuck in the middle. We never we never they've never been able to brand us. They've never been able to to put us in a genre and figure out so the easiest quickest quickest way or an easiest way to do it would just be to go with uh you know the look you just take the look 
and add that to the sound and say, okay, well, it's this. And that kills me because we're not that. We're not, we're not an 80s hair band.
never really looked at any of that. I mean, what drew me into the band from the get-go was exactly the guitar and the melody. It was the lush vocals and the guitar, you know, drew me in. I'm a fan of both. Well, yeah, well, like you said earlier, it's like the key to a great song and to a great artist is he can take his acoustic guitar mm-hmm. And sit down at a piano or acoustic guitar and play that song and sing it for people. Yep. And they hear that song that yeah. they heard on a record. They just hear it stripped down. Yeah. Now, a lot of rock bands, you know, especially nowadays, how the fuck are they able to do that? You <laughs> know what I mean? It used to be we, tr- we tried to record what we played. Right. Now you're trying to play what you recorded. And there's a lot of all of that stuff. So, but it boils down to exactly what you said. You really got your. You really got your, 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 you know, the right concept of, of actually an artist and a singer. I'm surprised that you're not one yourself with the way that, that your, your, your mind works and you think, but that's the thing. And there's a lot of those bands from our era. You really, you stripped it down on acoustic guitar. Not only would you not recognize it because the riff and the, there's usually some riff or some groove or something that, that caught you. And the rest of it was, uh, party all night, rocked all day. Let's fuck all night. This and that all added to it. So you take those songs, you strip them down. First of all, you don't have that big groove. You don't have the power of the song that drove it with the big, huge drums and stuff like that. That's all missing. And all you got basically is some cheesy, shitty excuse for a song. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> now, how are you getting the orchestration across in the recording? Are you having somebody do that? No, no. That's that's all me. That's all. That's what that is, is from years of uh, studying and have a passion and a love and all that embedded in me from listening to those earlier things that were great and had all that, that's just become something that was like my brain is a machine that is able to man, you know, manufacture that stuff. And, and that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing if I hear if I have a string part of this and that is what I do is I, when I take a song idea and I listen to it and I let it tell me and dictate to me what it wants to be. Uh-huh. And so I follow it. And I'll try different things. I'll try this instrument, that instrument, different parts. The first trick is to find what instrument it'll be, or you'll find the part. And it's like that magical part that by trying all the wrong ones, you'll find the right one. And when you find the part, then it's like you have to think to yourself, now, what instrument would this make sense for this part to be added? You know, would it be a string patch? Would it be a horns? It's a scientific approach at creativity. You know, and if you love stuff like Sgt. Peppers, you love the Beatles, you love Led Zeppelin, and you hear those things added to the songs and those become embedded. And so that's on your unconsciously aware of of that. And you're just doing what you're feeling, what, what, what the song is telling you it wants to be. And I imagine that's the way it was for them, too. Otherwise, that stuff wouldn't have been added there, you know. Right. Where do you find inspiration for your songs? Do you take them from your own life or from other places? Where Where does the inspiration come for you? Lyrically, I'm 100% authentic. What you see is what you get. What I'm feeling is what you'll hear, you know, and so that's where that comes from. As far as musically and this and that, I'm just evolving my own thing. I'm really not listening to much many other things, which if I did, I could probably have a better chance at uh, being more uh, commercial or something commercially accepted, but that's never been my interest. And so I'm, I'm doing an evolving worrying about my business, you know, let everybody else worry about their business. And, and I'm just evolving my stuff and getting my stuff, what I do to be better and better and better. And uh, without incorporating today's modern 
production and stuff like that. That's that makes no difference to me. And so that's where it all comes from. It's just it's just evolving like you grow up. You know, where does where did your inspiration come from from high school? Where did your inspiration come from when you your first job you worked? Where did that because that's your your life. It's evolving. You're you're growing and and it's your life. And it's what what you're doing with it. And that's where my inspirations come from is what haven't I done yet? What haven't I done? It's, and it gets difficult, you know, uh, more melody and structure wise to find it, you know, because how many chords are there in the world? You know what I mean? How many combinations have been used? I mean, basically all of them. What it is, is a, a new chemistry between a melody and, a, and a, an arrangement or a chord progression and this and that that is original. It is unique. And so that is that's quite the task. But fortunately, God provides a lot of that for me. My job is to just not fuck it up and take it like a, an antenna and get it to where where the, whatever energy source or whatever works with me inside me says that's it. Yeah, you did, it. You did a good job, and then I then I hit send, put it out there in the world, and where what happens then is up to the ones that hear it. So tell me about your writing process then for this new album. Well, what happened was I continued to do what I do, and it was physically. And emotionally and spiritually, I was beaten up. I was done. I was drained. A machine can't function uh, even as, as good as quality of a car it is. It's a Ferrari. But if the engine's blown, the gaskets are blown, this and that, you can't slap Band-Aids on it anymore. you got to eventually take it apart and rebuild it so it runs. Then you can continue it to be something. Well, I had to do that. And during that downtime, there's never been a time in my life since I started writing songs that there wasn't an idea or there wasn't a good stuff sitting on ice waiting for me to get to attend to it. Never has that been. But during this whole, I would say about three, four, four years, not one idea was coming into my head because I believe that my spirit or my energy source that drives, you know, that, I mean, our, our bodies are just an animal as a physical thing. What's who we are and everything, I believe, is a whole different thing. You know, it doesn't, it's what separates us from, from another animal, you know, another cat. This one cat's the same as another cat. Well, we're people are a little bit different. And so that needed to be rebuilt. And I believe my spirit had basically package bags and leave. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so that was where all of my creativity and all that was coming from, my emotions and my, my spirituality and my, uh, you know, with just my vibes and stuff, which were gone for a long. So I had to rebuild those. And I got the, got my physical and state of mind and my physical, you know, state built back and strong again. And then I was sitting there thinking, well, I'm all dressed up now with no place to go. What's <laughs> going to happen now? What do, what do I do? Am I, am I still going to do this now that why did I go through all of this? Because now where's the ideas? Where was it all just because of the drugs? And was it all because because I, I live past Pluto where the ideas fly around and you catch them with, with a butterfly net? Uh -huh. I said, well, or is this something that I now can do 100 times more efficient? But where's the content? You know, and, and as soon as I really sat and questioned that and really, really uh, battled with that, the very next day, a song called I Could Save the World came to me. We used to have Led Zeppelin, Stones and Beatles. Hooking up with girlfriends face to face I realized my country by an eagle Flying higher, stronger and free But now it's all another place 
And I was like, whoa. And I demoed that motherfucker. I got right on the thing and started demoing it. Two days later came the third song on the record, Breaking Me Down. That came, and, and it's like, wow. And I went to that one. I go, these are really good. These are really strong. And and there's nobody here to, I can, I'm in a position now. I'm starting over with this by myself. It's not enough enough. I'm able to, uh, to 100% authentically build and, and design these songs. Now, when you say they came to you, does it start with a lyric or a melody in your head or chord change? How does it start? It's not usually a lyric. Uh-huh. It's not necessary. It can be a, a, a number of things, but it's usually uh, whatever you'll hear of one of my songs. It's like that part. Well, that's that. That's what the, that the song is built around. Uh-huh. It will usually be some melody thing. It, sometimes it could be a, just a, a melodic thing to a to a verse uh-huh. and I build, build it from that and then find the chorus. Okay. But the bottom line is what's being given to me is not something that I believe that I, as a human being am just manufacturing on my own coming up with these. I believe there's an inspiration. There is an energy coming from somewhere that's, that's giving these to me okay. and saying, now take this and go to work. Here it is. Here's another one. Now go to work and do your job and do it. And that's the physical aspect of it. And then when that's all done, now sing it. Right. You know, now sing it and make it the best it can be. And that's another t- you know thing that I've worked on that keeps evolving is you know, I, I pretty much have mastered my character, which is still growing. But I know what what's effective here in this and there. I know what, what how to make a lyric roll off the tongue and sing well. There's a million ways to say something, but there's only one way for it to sing well. Say what you want it to say, but sound very cool with the melody and the chords and stuff behind it. And roll off the tongue and sing well, which I, a lot of people don't understand that with a lot of times I've tried to, people wanted me to collaborate or work with them, write stuff. They're like, well, just say this. I go, no, can't use that. That doesn't, even if it rhymed, it's, it's, it's stupid or it doesn't sing well. You know, there's certain ones that roll off the tongue right and stuff for, for a certain thing. That brings to mind a question that I had, which is over the years that you've been writing music now, is this one of the things that you've learned in the way of songwriting over the years? It's a combination of still the embedded things that were, that were as I grew, were embedded into me so deeply that uh, I'm not even aware of it. And so it's a combination of that and um, hard work and experience. When I get that main idea of what, because it takes something like that for me to actually pick up the guitar and start and start turning it into something. If I, I can't, it's not possible for me to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write a song today. Right. I'm going to record it. That does not happen. I have to wait for these. And when they come, like I said, I listen to it. I let it tell me what it wants to be. And so, you know, and it takes deciphering. It's, it's like an Easter egg hunt. You got to go look under the bushes. You got to go look around the trees. You got to look in the gutters. You got to look everywhere until you find that next piece. Yeah. And that, or like a jigsaw puzzle. You take through a thousand pieces there. So you find that one that actually it matches and fits exactly right there. And that's the same thing as, uh, is how I put it together. And it, it is in a way scientific, but the song tells me what it wants to be. And that's, and I keep following it and I keep building it and adding to it. And, and I see it shaping and taking form. And then a little bit more of my skills and experience kicks in of how I know how to polish this part, you know, how to make this present it the best to the best of its ability. But bottom line is as I'm, as I continue progress on the song it's still very authentic and genuine as a song i'm starting with a 
I won't start recording it until the song is there. So I can pick up the guitar. I might not have all the lyrics there, but I know the so- I know the vowels and syllables that will be there. I can hear the sounds of those. So I can basically sing you the song before I sit down and record it. The lyrics are a lot of times after I've got it, you know, most of the stuff, right? Well, it's time to step up to the mic and, and then I have to have something to sing. I have to have the words and stuff. And uh, that's just the whole way that it goes about it. And that, I mean, that's the only way I can operate and the only way I can work. And I'm, and I've talked to a lot of other big artists and they, they have the same exact analogy that there's something that's given them these ideas. And then they take they take their thing and they move forward with it. You know, oddly enough, I actually understand what you're saying from the fact that to me, your songs sound a certain way. They flow a certain way. And I think it's all melody as far as what I'm trying to describe to you. Right. It just it rolls a certain way. All your songs it has, to, it has to flow, it has to flow. There's yeah. a lot of songs, great songs I've written that still I don't consider if I don't consider it perfect, like this is this part here kind of just threw this part together to, to complete the song or something like that. Well, just like anything else you're building or something, you just throw one part together. You got that shitty part. You know what I mean? And, and it'll, it'll never not be that part until you actually address it and get out your sander or your tools or whatever and, and turn that into what it should be. And um, that's why there's so many demos and so many unreleased songs that are, have been, you know, through the years now without me have been being released anyway. Well, they're great songs. And people say, that's a great song. Yeah, but if you listen close to them, there's reasons why I didn't put those on record. There's still something that wasn't, that was still not finished about it. You know, and you're putting something out there that's not finished. Yeah. You can't go out and sell something that's you know, a half-assed product. You know, you, you got something that's like, like things that come and go, like a product goes, well, this is a great concept. This is a great idea, this and that. But here's what's wrong with it. This is the downfall. This is why you don't see it anymore. You know, this happened to babies were choking on this part or something like that. You know what I mean? And so that's the way I felt about a lot of those. And until something like with Beautiful Things record, I believe for me, if you appreciate me as an artist, you appreciate what I do, and I do appreciate myself, and I do love what I, the sound of what I make, is I believe it's a perfect record. I believe that not one corner was cut, not all the way down to the to each tweaking each word. I was still tweaking them when I had the phones on at the microphone. It's still like, ah, that word's still what good better way to say it? What can I, you know, is it the or and or but or this and that? You know, it's still tweaking little things down to the point where each little instrument, a lot of the trick is uh, a big key factor is what not to play. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, you don't want to play. You don't want to walk over and step over things and frequencies you have to find that's another thing about you're saying a great song on acoustic well i'm an artist you know artists paint on canvas i paint on silence now we there's certain frequencies that will work together there's certain frequencies that'll step on another one and lose the magic of one like country and pop being mixed together you know what i mean there's something stepping on the other thing and so you have to find those parts and those frequencies that go exactly you use a brush and not a roller you know, and might one thing might only need need one little bit of periwinkle color. You know, if you're painting a painting, might only need like just this one one piece of this eye or something. And you know, and once you got that instrument out, you're going through that thing. A lot of people have a tendency to keep play through that whole song that that instrument. You know, well, no, it's it's not. It's what is actually this song want right there, and what side of the panning, where in the panning, all the way back, all the way to the left. Obviously, the, the vocals are straight up the middle. 
you know, but um, the harmonies will be off here. The harmonies could be with the mains. It's finding those exact frequencies and, and where they sit and where, where when you listen to it, it says that sounds fucking great. And that's what I believe this record is. Even down to the flow of the sequence, it was like there was no trick to, like in Enough Enough Records, it's like, what's the order of the songs? Okay, well, I will put the first smash that we think can be like, you know, considered a hit or something. Well, that either comes first or will sit third. Like it's, you know, like history has dictated, you know what I mean? Well, so hold on. Let me, let me stop you right there because I'm in a current argument with uh, friends that sequencing does matter on an album. Do you it agree? It absolutely matters, but it has to be, it has to be for the right reason. It has to be for the right reason. When you hear the end of this song, what song comes perfectly in there? It could be determined by the key of the song. It could be determined by the feel of the song. What it, everything is for me, is I've never been a student. I've never, you know, consciously read or studied or, or was taught anything. So what it is for me is the same thing as writing the song. I'm letting it tell me what it wants to be instead of just the song. And so it's this one. It's obviously this one. And this record could not have been sequenced any different. This was, there was no question in my mind. And I had 100% control. Now we got a record, enough enough record called Welcome to Blue Island, right? Yeah. Where, where a lot of my, uh, Control was taken away from me. A lot of the instrumentation, there's songs that are ruined on there because of somebody went in and mixed them without me. And uh, there's a song called Sentimental Journey, which started out as this really cool acoustic guitar with, with its own weird tuning thing that uh, I constructed. And it sounded really cool as an acoustic guitar piece. Well, I had ideas right now. It's going to build and add these other things to it and build and turn, you know, and little scats and stuff would come in one here and there and stuff. And, and see, now him not being an artist and him not knowing these things or feeling these things or hearing these things, he goes in there, mixes the stuff. That song right there is long, and it's turned into something that people skip over when they hear it because it doesn't sound like a song. It just sounds like a bunch of mishmash because that's what it was turned into. If had my vision was on it, it would be considered a classic. Another good example on Welcome to Violent, there's a song called The Overture. Hence the word overture. Mm-hmm. Where would you put overture? <laughs> where would you put that answer my question you mean in the record yeah in the record where does the overture go overture is it at the beginning the first part exact first yeah. thing you okay. hear the overture jesus christ superstar you know it's a it's a synopsis and sets the vibe and and tells you where here's what's coming right i mean so you know where did that end? look at the welcome to violin album and see where that is on the record <laughs> that's the kind of shit do you have a, some sort of a home studio setup? Yeah, I got a demo studio setup. You know, I just got, got my MacBook. I got a decent microphone. Because you're somebody that definitely would benefit from something like that, I would think. Well, yeah. I mean, of course. I mean, that's every single song, even enough's enough. It started with a four track, right. you know, to put them together. I got I want to hear it as quick as possible. As soon as it's there, I want to hear it. Right. That's my main, main thing about songwriting and the stuff that I do, everyone says I'm your biggest fan. No, you're, you can't possibly be because I am. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I make this stuff out of something I want to hear. I like this. This is, I love this. I love hearing this. I still play. I don't play a lot of the older stuff as much. And, and when I finish a record, I don't play it very, I don't want to hear it. It's just, there's not special to me and not hearing it. And cause I've heard every single note driven into me a zillion times in right. each mix. So when it's finally done, I'm like, you know, it's like, I don't even want to see that thing or hear that again for a while, but 
I'm really enjoying this podcast because you're you really are right there in the same frame of mind that I am. At what you your thing of what you're doing. That's uh, cool. I'm glad you're having a good time. I appreciate the conversation for sure. So much for not being a windbag. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all good. You know, it's all good conversation. I just want to make sure that I present something good that uh, promotes your record. That's important. This is, this is a great presentation or to show you how passionate I am about what I do. Yeah. Let me ask you a couple more things regarding your record. How did you end up connecting with uh, Roger Joseph Manning Jr.? Well, for I could save the world. I mean, I wanted to make it a point on this record. I knew I'd be playing a lot of it. My original idea was to not even be playing guitar on it, to be just writing the songs and singing them. The views use the best guys at each instrument as I am at singing it and writing it, you know, so that efficient of a guy for each instrument, each part. Well, drums was easy. It was obvious. I used Maddie Walker and, and a guy named Ed Breckenfeller on a couple of them songs with great feel, great grooves, sets the foundation. Now, keep in mind that all of these songs had been demoed already and everything you're hearing on the finished record, you basically heard in my demos. It was it's the same thing. It's just it's sonically it's been beefed up. And, you know, I would say with with Matt, it's like yeah, I was listen. I go, well, here's the song, but do your thing to it. He goes, no, man. He goes, you did exactly what needs to be there. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm just going to play it well and make it sound good. Well, with Roger, I got to I could save the world. There was a lot of strings and stuff and it. And it it really had to be find that way to effectively stick them in there and the frequencies in there and the parts. Parts all have to be very special parts to put in a song. And that was like, well, who can I think of that I know that's really good at that I really admire and think that they're and I thought, well, the guy from Jellyfish, I've always loved Jellyfish. I thought that there was something lacking as far as it was very self-indulgent, you know what I mean? But but amazing stuff and and it was too smart and too clever for your average for the sheep, or, you know, the cattle out there. Mm -hmm. But people that really appreciate stuff like you, I'm sure you love them. Oh, God, I love them. <laughs> really appreciate stuff. That's the shit. You know what I mean? And so I knew they weren't doing anything. I didn't know what he was doing. But I do know that you could get him, too, on one of your songs for 500 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> he writes with some common people that I know, and he does a lot of solo stuff as well. He keeps himself busy is what he's doing. He, you know, fucking downtime's the devil's time. Keeps himself consistently busy. Keeps income consistently coming in. I don't believe he would take take on and do anything that he completely hated nah. for just the money. I didn't think it was rocket science to send him something like I could save the world and, and think, I hope he likes this or something like this. What do you, what, what do, you do? He heard it and was like 15 minutes later, I got an email back. Yep. Yep. I'll do this. Yeah. You know, even as busy as he was, he was out on the Beck tour, you know, doing that was with Matt Walker, you know, doing Morrissey too. And like, he's constantly working as a hired musicians of certain artists and stuff. And I'm sure he's doing his own thing and doing other things for other artists like me, but that's how I got him. I just reached out to him and uh, sent him an email. Got somebody gave me his email and I'd heard from somebody, a lot of people that, that said, you know, he refers to, uh, you know, my songwriting and singing is, you know, one of the things that he really liked. So I figured out, right, we'll put all these things together and see what the fuck Roger's going to cost or will he do it? Just like with Paul Gilbert, Paul didn't charge me nothing. I send these guys these things and they say, would you be interested in doing this? And every single one of them, you know, is let me hear what you got. And also none of them even would have probably opened the email had it not been me, Yeah, you know, and you see my name. 
Well, yeah, I always wondered, uh, you know, what a collaboration between you and Roger would be like. Well, yeah, uh, so would I. I that's why I, uh, I even said that to him. We have, that's another conversation that, that would have to be uh, discussed at, at, at a time like that. Yeah. You know, when you got guys that are that busy yeah. working that often and being asked that by so many different people, yep. logically and rea- realistically, is something that, you know, to build a whole record together to make it, that's not anything that probably would be realistic or, or possible or even either of us interested in. But the collaboration with him, he really wasn't collaborating on this, but what he did contribute, I consider huge in the song right. so it kind of is a collaboration although he just looks at it as he was a paid musician to play on it i would love to because now after a few things that i've learned about roger i can see so much more contribution than you would led to be believe about jellyfish yeah you know that was a collaboration that was a true genuine two guys working together and each of them being as vital to this music as the other, you know, that is not the case with enough. In fact, a lot of the enough enough stuff, I believe I had a hand tied behind my back, which I hate to say, and I don't want to disillusion people, but that's the case. And then somebody, and then going and and having it revered as exactly what you would, what I said about jellyfish, right? you know, and I still get all these people like, man, you guys need to bury the hatchet and get back together. I'm like, I finally started asking, can you please explain to me what I'm lacking here? What I'm missing now that not being with him, what is in the, in the, that you're hearing that you're thinking that you're not hearing if I'm with him, you know what I mean? So I just, so I know, is it just because that the heavy guitar, I said, I, I did all that too. You know, I'm set out to purposely make these into songs, individual, unique songs this time and not stick them through the Play-Doh pumper that has like seven shapes, you know what I mean? Different colored Play-Dohs, but you stick it through there and there's seven shapes. I can't do that anymore. I've done everything I could do there like that. And so, you know, it, it's a disability, but it's also this disability. Like I said, when I said it rich and famous and all this and that wasn't what played a part was, was the artistic integrity, which half of it, chop half of everything you do off. You only had half, you know, and somebody else is getting credit for as much as you did, what you see is what you get out there. And when people have, you know, uh, had enough of, of the same 20 songs and sung like he sings them and stuff. And, and, you know, there's not a big demand for his new record stuff. You know, he's playing the same 20 songs is, is why I would see on the set list yeah. every night for 25 years, which another thing that really aggravated and bothered me said, I don't want to play these, sing the same song again for the millionth fucking time. There's no passion in it. I'm not getting into it, which, which I can't telegraph and relay to the, to the listeners and, and our fans. It's not huge, huge crowds. It's not this masses. It's, it's these people that stuck with it and, and made sure that they followed it wherever it went, even into obscurity. They still found it. We're still there and supportive. These people don't want to hear that same fucking shit. Matter of fact, that's exactly what they don't want to hear when they come. If there's 20 records or 13 enough snuff records of between 10 and 15 songs in each one, you know, it's never in a case of like, well, you listen to Beatles. You don't want to hear I hold your hand. <laughs> I feel that way about every show I go see live. Right. right. Well, that's, see, that's it's cheating the audience. It's cheating me. And it's, it's preventing me from being effective up there, telegraphing what I do live and having the vibe. You know, first of all, I can't even hear myself up there. Everybody's shit so loud and, you know, banging as hard as they can on the drums and, and the guitars, Derek and, 
and uh, a chip turned up and fall, fall by, and that's why I don't have any any hearing left. And I have to wear these in your monitors to do anything, but I can't hear myself. So there's no if you're not fall if you can't fall into the groove and the specialness of what makes you do what you do. You're just it's just you know it could be you know when they got that Johnny Monaco or it's like might as well be that. Yeah. There's no difference because there's no the guy who's the guy and the reasons why he's the guy isn't there. And neither was I even basically as I punched the clock and would walk on again. You know what I mean? Here we go. Well, baby loves you again. Right. Here we go. New thing again. Fly Michelle again. Yeah. You know, the same fucking, you know, I don't ever want to fucking play those songs again because of that, you know, but obviously I have to incorporate them into my new set. You know what I mean? When they're up there, like when we show up to a place in a town and there's only be 15, 20 people there at the show for whatever reason it was. And it was a show, one of those shows that you have to include in the tour to have a, have something coming in, a gas for the bus, anything, you know, some reason to on that day, not just be jacking off and partying on the bus, but to still be generating some kind of, you know, revenue. And um, those shows, you know, even though there was 15 people there, so you're just like, I'd go on in my sweatpants and shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Give a fuck, but the, unfortunately, those fifteen people got a stack of CDs a, a foot high that they want signed and stuff like that. So that when you got a stack that high, it means you love this fucking band, right. you love these songs. And so you know, I might go on in sweatpants until I learned, you know, and feel kind of embarrassed for them that they're such big fans, they they revere uh, holding such high regards that that there's they're not joined with a bunch of packed house for them to create fully have their illusion, you know, for, to, to enhance it, but they don't care with this stuff. And then we'd be on stage, we'd be playing. And there wasn't this, this obligation, like business obligation that, that chip and I would take control of that. I'd be like, and they would really enjoy just watching us fumble through something that I just called off, you know, Hey, you played on this song, chip. How the fuck? I haven't played this one live. Let's fucking go for it. Let's fucking stumble through it. And the drums follow it. You heard the record. You know, it goes, we're all good enough musicians that we could, so basically, if you fuck up a part, big deal. There's nobody here. And these people would rather hear us do that. Those shows were beautiful, magical things for me. I would walk off of those things and just sit down with these people feeling really great about myself. Like, that was really good. What we did there was really special, was a lot of fun, and came off and, and did a hell of a lot better job than we, than probably thought we were going to do it, something like that. And I'm like, see, why why can't we be doing this? with a little bit of polishing could be doing this whole catalog if we want to. You know what I mean? Yeah. So none of that was played a factor in it. He's still got the same set. He probably has the set list has been laminated for the last fucking 20 years. And he just pulls it out of his base case, sets it up there. And, but it's a job now for the other guys. So they're not going to protest it. Johnny Monaco even had a big problem with it when he was fronting the band and singing lead vocals for it. But it wasn't the same thing where I'm, I'm this fucking thing that's constant nagging, constant this and that, because we never could agree on something when his, his outlook on everything is this way and mine is this way. There's no way to meet in the middle. There's no compromise except do his way or not do it at all. You know what I mean? What do you think was the biggest clash between the two of you? What I just said. He's a buffoon. He's the rooster on the cornflake box. He's an idiot that thinks he's a genius. And so that's a dangerous idiot. I mean, and he, is, he has a bigger mouth. And he's the guy that's out there now managing and representing the band. So everything that you're doing, everything you believe in, uh, none of that's happening. It's all exactly what you said is you're begging to please not do. So now you're working for a company, you know, that's everything you don't believe in. You know, the only thing you believe in is 
is what you're you're actually the foundation that you're doing that business operating under but everything else and the fans that's my my number one priority besides creating the music is these fans it's i don't consider when he takes credit for this and that and this and that i don't consider you did anything because these these songs don't belong to me they certainly the fuck don't belong to you they belong to these fans they were given to these people and they deserve them and they love them and they change their lives and in some cases save their lives these i'm giving these to you and thank you so much for giving giving me the the opportunity to do that and the opportunity to feel and be told you affected my life you you got me through these things and this song because that was my hopes and dreams of of a wish when i'm writing a song like that i'm not able to console myself i'm not able to to fix my problem but but I'm going to put this out there and hope that I'm going to feel around in the dark for a lost soul and see if they, I can connect and reel them in and then to change their mind. Something about some song or they just heard something that told them, don't do that. Right. You know what I mean? And, and then to come to you and tell you and the ripple effect it would have had on the world and their, and their family and the people that know their family and everything that they did in their life. What kind of price could you put on something like that? It's in that respect, man. Priceless. I'm the rich, richest man in the world. Yeah. It's been building up inside me watching this for so many years, this violation. I feel so violated and it builds up and it builds up to me where I know it sounds stupid. I know I sound like a whiny bitch, but I keep crying about it. I know it sounds terrible. I would totally fucking think what a fucking douchebag if I was listening to me. <laughs> I can't help it. I can't fucking help it. Neither would anybody else in my position would be able to help it and just go, let's just be busy. Just be business and just uh rise above rise above take the high road taking the high road well the other guy's taking the holland tunnel and getting there a million times quicker you know and fucking you know here i'm taking the high road having to walk over these mountains and, and around this and you know you have to go around this whole country because you can't make it through there so the guy's on this the bullet train riding under fucking you know under the ground <laughs> bullet train where there's no obstacles and and getting getting to where you want to go first and oh, by the time you get there, he already got it and he left. He's like, you know, nothing there where you, you know. And so he just took all the juice and all the, you know, half of this and that. And I still, you know, I have so many people still like, man, you need to get back. I'm like, why? Why? You know what? You need, I, you know what I think? I think, you know, that, that, that wife that you divorced and you fucked <laughs> and you hate yourself. I thought you were, I thought you made a cute couple. <laughs> I think you should call her up, dump your girlfriend you got now that you love and call this one back. And cause I think you look cute together. Yeah. But Donnie, let's be honest. My ex-wife didn't write new thing. Neither did he. And I can't relive my eighties. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, neither did he, you know, you know, who's a big collaborator on new thing with me? <laughs> that? My car, uh, your car, my car, my battery was, was toast and I kept like I'd go to start it and we go vroom 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 and I heard that and I hear music out of different things like you know like if you're in the shower you can hear the whole orchestration and sing along with it right I heard that I heard the riff to new thing in my it's trying to start my car wow
You know, that was it. That was the collaboration right there. The song, you know, came together. And I just like, nah, nah, nah. by the time I got to Chip's house, he he took and descended the bass line in the chorus, which I would have just wrote that. Ah, ah, and then change on oh, 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 a new thing. The same thing without the descending bass line that mid split uh, the first chord. That was his contribution to the song. What does it say on the song? New thing. What does he say? Chips and up. What does he say when he goes to introduce the song live? This one me and my little brother wrote. Blah, blah, blah. In the best bathroom of my life. Hey, you fucking so full of shit. Fly <laughs> Michelle. Here's one my little brother and I wrote. Smoking a joint. Blah, blah. You weren't even there. You're not, your name's not even on Fly Michelle, Jagoff. Fucking, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so, it's so plain as the nose on your face. You're a fucking idiot. Where, put your red rubber nose on and start making balloon animals. Like you should be doing. Chips enough. I even thought of his name. I even wrote his name. I think I've heard that story before. He wanted to be called something chocolate or something, right? Dr. Chocolate. Chip Gregory. All these stupid names. I'm like, I'm not playing with Dr. Chocolate. I'm not playing with Chip Gregory. I'm not playing with this and that. He's like, well, I was thinking about it. It took me two seconds because he got winger. He got warrant, right? I'm like, well, just take something part of the last thing and chips it off. I just threw that out there. That guy sat there, we were in my car, come back from a gyro stand, and he's just like quiet to himself. I hear him whispering to himself, like saying it in all these different, different uh analogies, like uh, ladies and gentlemen, chips enough. Like, like uh here we're speaking with chips enough. Chips enough found I heard him doing this all whispering and stuff. By the time I pulled over to drop him off, he looks over at me, chips enough. <laughs> I was like, Oh no, what have I done? But I thought at that point. That was my big brother. I thought, and I loved him, and I think he loved me at that point. But what it is, and what he's unsatisfied with, is he he doesn't feel satisfied with what he's received and the payment that he's made for what he was using me for. Yeah, yeah. So, but he's not going to go talking shit about me publicly. He hates me every bit as much as I hate him. Okay, <laughs> he does. I'm sure, he's just talking more shit nowadays or or less because it makes me look like this fucking cocksucker, you know, and him. Oh, Chip's so sweet, wonderful. He's just full of shit. That's what he is. I'm sure you could tell the difference between this interview and his interview. You know, you're getting the same hot air fucking balloon and ice balloon, reading it off that laminated set list. You know, it's the same fucking shit because he's not the artist. But how is that in his best interest? You know, when the, the vocalist, the guy that wrote, he presents this show and this band now is like a memorial to it, like I'm dead. Like it's the only thing that these fans got left a brave chip. He's so brave and courageous. He's so wonderful for keeping Donnie's memory alive by continuing to go out there and do this thing. That's bullshit. He's killing it. He's like destroying and doing the Hoochie Man two-step over my shit with three guys that did. did who, who the fuck are those guys? <laughs> <laughs> Listen to his pipe singing. What the fuck are you doing? What's the agenda there? It's an obvious what it what was be possibly the agenda. It's just all about him. All he cares about is him. This is me, me, me. Because, I mean, what the fuck? You know, obviously his vocals suck. He can't sing lead vocals on this shit. My vocals were as important to the, to the sound of the band as my as their songs. You know what I mean? Now, that's all gone, and it's the same 20 songs. People are just going to get their 80s on, you know? And people that don't know any better, oh, it's enough, it's enough. And they feel that it's this or nothing. We loved enough, enough. And there's, it's this or nothing. But you know what? There, I'm sure there's better enough, enough tribute bands out there than that. At least the guy, at least the guy's voice doesn't make your hair on the back of your neck stand up. <laughs> but like I said earlier, in all fairness to him, had it not been, it'd be who knows how good of a record I would think it is or what I would think of his voice if it weren't for all its predecessors. The way I look at it, the way it looks to me is if you're buried enough enough in Pet Cemetery, 
and what came up out of there, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, that, mo- that movie. But when I originally hooked up with him in the band that I saw him in before, I was a fan of, but I didn't like all the songs that his other singer did. I liked the two that he sang because that was more conducive of what I liked, that melodic power pop thing. His voice wasn't, was better than this other guy's. It was really, it was, which I hated. And Chips was like, you know, trying to do the same shit. That's why when he heard me, he was like, just salivate, just see the, the drool just fall out of his fucking mouth. He's like, ah. He fucking grabbed me. That's going to be my little brother. I'll hold you and I'll protect you. I'll never let anything happen to you. Oh, my God. I found a diamond. I found a fucking diamond in this rock I clunked open. Oh, my God. Let's go off and show this diamond. Our whole world and everything. And then, but when the diamond's not there, it's just relying on, well, here's the guy that showed the diamond. Well, where's the diamond? Well, I don't have it anymore. But well, so you're just the guy that used to carry the diamond around. I mean, who gives a fuck about you? He's got to get props for recognizing the diamond. I guess so. You know, you got to get re- you got to get props for realizing there's there's something called a podcast and music. <laughs> got to give you props for that, man. Hey, congratulations. You're a fucking genius. <laughs> you, you figured out that, hey, I'm going to invent the podcast. You know, I mean, or just tripped over one. Oh, there's one. Yeah. It's simple as right and wrong. I got gotcha. you. And the guy on the right and the guy on the wrong has got the louder voice and, and people are, you know, there's a lot of misconception. And the guy in the wrong is benefiting and the guy in the right is not. There's nobody in this world who would feel differently about this situation than I do. Nobody. Except him. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet if it was happening to him, I guarantee it wouldn't be. Hey, uh, let me ask you something. Tell me about the album cover for Beautiful Things. Because um, it's interesting. Where, where are all the pictures from? Well, you know, after the record was completed, is when I decided on the title. Mm-hmm. Is what a more positive and the song is about finding the silver lining in anything, you know, it's just like landslides. They're a horrible, disastrous thing to take out buildings and ruin people's lives. But there is a side that you washed your shit to the river. You, there's the beautiful river there that you got washed down to the, the riptides fighting that to struggle to not die made you fucking strong as fuck. You know, that whole thing, the silver lining in anything. So if you look inside yourself, if you are, being presented or presenting yourself is the biggest piece of shit in the world. All you do is drugs and steal people's shit and this and that. Like, you know, there's still a silver lining there that there is beautiful and you, you are unique. You are special. There's something good about you. You just are steered off the, the course. So beautiful things was the obvious choice that, you know, the theme for the record. Now, when I had that, all right, it's going to be called beautiful things. Now I'm twisted. I'm fucking retarded into stupid shit. That's just tongue in cheek and uh, sarcasm is basically my language you know what i mean japan and stuff have look at me cross-eyed when they do an interview you know it's a, let's say as a great interpreter like what the fuck so i would have put like a dog taking a shit or something on the cover you know beautiful things you know it would have been that right. and then i started thinking well you know i can't be doing that anymore i got i can't do that to this record and i was thinking well what's beautiful that i could put on there like flowers or this and that and i thought well what the fuck i go it's the most beautiful thing about it would be what the fans think is beautiful what do these people, all these people that give me this reason to get up in the morning and do what I do, what do these people think is beautiful? So I, I said, I thought, I said, you know what, I'm going to do that. I'm going to reach out to these pledges and these fans and say, send me pictures of what you think is something that you consider beautiful. Your car, your child, your fucking parents, your, your, you know, uh, yourself at a different time or yourself now, whatever it is, send them in. And I got a huge collection of stuff and I made, they got smaller and smaller and smaller, the more quantity. And that's why it was, 
said, you know, we do, we've been through these years together. You're I'm here because you're, because you've been here with me. These stories, a lot of these things I've lived through, you were part of that, you know, and just like I've been a part of your life. So we're doing this together. Well, I would like you, you guys to be a big part of it too. And, and let's see you motherfuckers make the cover for me. That's I mean, awesome. And so that's how I did that. And that's what I did. And, you know, it was, and I had a couple really good artists that uh, spent a lot of time working on things and kept adding, you know, it'd be finished. No, no, this guy's just sent something in. I, this guy's cat just died. You got to fit that on there somewhere, you know, things like that, because that's how I roll. You know, it's already been done. Well, fuck it. You got to fit this in there somewhere. Take out, you know, I tried to get my dick on there. I tried to sneak it on. <laughs> I tried to sneak it on. He sent it to him. I go, here's a, pic. a dick pic. I go, sneak this in there where it's like, you have to see it with a magnifying glass just so I know it's on there. You know what I mean? Because that's how idiot I am. But no, they wouldn't do it. <laughs> like, no, we're not doing it. We're not. Matter of fact, I don't, I'm not opening this picture. <laughs> I don't want to see that. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's what I thought. And, that's, and then when I seen that record cover done, I said, now that's a beautiful thing. That's that, awesome. If, if you step back from it and you just look at it as a whole, isn't that a fucking eye-catching, appealing-looking record cover? Yeah, it's pretty. All the colors are nice. I couldn't help but notice uh, marijuana leaves around the side. Well, well how could you know? At least, at least there weren't coca plants and poppies and things like that on there, too, you know? But things are gone. There's no Jack Daniels and shit like that on there. You know, the devil's not on there. Yeah. All that stuff. But remember when we were kids and we could get our, we'd have an album that we would listen to, and all you had was the cover to look at, and on the back there was a picture of the band. Yep. I mean, and so that, everything else, was left to your imagination between what you were hearing and that picture yep. and all the, other, all the blanks were filled in by you. Mm-hmm. I mean, and yep. so if you go to a concert, I wonder what they're doing right now back there where they go on. I wonder what they're, you're imagining all these things and stuff. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, there's none of that. There's absolutely none of that. You take your stuff, put it under a microscope, present your worst things of your tragedies or, you know, so issues that you have in like, like metal sludge or something and magnify it and make fun of it and, and laugh at it. What an asshole to take what I've done and given to the world and all these people. Take me, freeze one frame of a video thing where I'm going from one expression to the other and it looked like a mentally retarded fucking idiot. <laughs> Stop, right there, right there, that frame. I take that picture, put that on there and then just make fun of me. When every single thing I've done has been nothing but integrity and quality and for the right reason. And everything, this music business and this in art and making records and everything, everything about it that it stands for, I do. That's what I do. You know, it's interesting you you bring something like that up because I've been kind of going over my head lately that rock and roll music or music in general has been killed not by another form of music, but by social media. Yep. Social media has put everything out there and all people can seem to do is post videos of musicians and artists, maybe not performing at their top level. Terrible, terrible angle, terrible sound, bad, bad, and this and that. Like the old days, the the things that you presented yourself and the labels and everyone would help you present yourself is the best possible presentation of yourself there's nothing left to the imagination anymore yeah one blade of kentucky bluegrass in a whole backyard lawn mm-hmm. you know you're trying to see it there you're never gonna fucking find it you have to go out there with a fucking you know with a goddamn microscope in the sand find that motherfucker and that's what's it's oversaturation is nothing artists aren't special anymore except the ones who can afford to go in there and pull that shit down 
have people pull it down or lock your phones when you go into a concert or things like that. All I can do is ask people not to do it. And people are telling me that that's not even reasonable for me to do that because, because you're not, you're not some big, huge artist. And so you ask somebody, these people just love you and just want to have this, this moment saved for themselves, but it's not just for themselves. They get home and they post it freaking right on Facebook. There's some clips <laughs> of some terrible, see, just for you, for the memory, you're posting it and blasting it out. Look at your new profile picture. I look like a fucking idiot in that picture, but you're there with me. So that's, that's all you care about, you know? And, and, and a couple of guys shot that, that first show that I played after five years, not stepping on a rock and roll stage. The first one I did, everybody that was there, it was really well received because number one, all I had to do was walk into the building vertical and <laughs> be alive, you know, and, and I won right there. And then the songs that they wanted to hear and just doing the best I could, but, uh, Trying to, you know, sexy being part of one of your one part of your job. It's not fucking especially easy or, or anything that you, that you even want to think about when it comes to what you do. But that, but it was a train wreck because it was it was ill prepared and different things for one reasons and another. I won't get into stuff. You know, it's just every catastrophe get leading up to this. But I had booked it to put a fire under everything to get it moving and, and a goal to work towards. Well, it's so ill prepared and I knew exactly what was going to go down before I even hit the stage and I had a lot of anxiety and I just thought of every way I could cancel this. It was sold out already in pre-sales sales and everything and shy of throwing my hand under a lawnmower or something like that. There's no way I could cancel it. But the show, two guys broadcast it live on Facebook. So it was like a concert for everyone in the world to see who was curious about how that show would go and this and that. Well, there they seen it. It was a disaster. And also from a bad angle with terrible sound, and picked apart, and that really, really bothers and upsets me. And it's hard to take the high road and rise above that shit because, man, god damn, it's the first fucking thing I did in five years on a rock and roll stage. And once again, everything fucked me, completely fucked me in the ass leading into this thing. Is this the thing I saw on uh, being talked about with metal uh, sludge and all that other stuff? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because that cocksucker over there, that Stevie Raquel, he wanted, he wanted to be exactly what I am. But he never was good enough to do it, right? So he's decided to just take the platform and just rip and make fun of all the people he's jealous of. Well, that's just he became became to make money doing that because, of course, you don't turn on the TV at night and see a show called The Good News. You know what I mean? Yeah. You watch Ridiculousness and or fucking Jackass and stuff like that. That's what people are entertained by. Yeah. There's no bad publicity, anything good. You, you know, you're not going to turn on the Lifetime channel. I mean, because nobody wants to see that, but... But, you know, old ladies and, you know, but uh, yeah, that's what, what happens. And the guy does that. And no matter how great I can do something, you know, I had to just tell myself, there's, there's nothing, nothing I could do that will prevent him from doing this to me yeah. because he's jealous. And there's a lot of a lot of other artists and stuff that, that were in my genre, in my era and stuff. They're also jealous to see the great Donnie V with all his arrogant shit talk and this and that and his fucking holier than thou looking at me self flat on his fucking face. Well, I'm a human being and that hurts my fucking feelings and I, I never thought of myself as that. I just didn't, I didn't think of myself as a cut above anybody else. I just didn't like what they were doing. You know, I didn't appreciate banging your head, shit like that. That doesn't, that didn't move me. And I was young and inexperienced and full of myself then with the with the number one shit and the status going places and doing interviews. And what do you think about this? I said, I don't dig it. You know, what do you think about this? I don't dig it. Had a couple of cocktails in me. I take I don't dig it to the next level. You know what I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but those guys, yeah. these guys, they all get together and just laugh. Like Chip probably laughing his balls off at those some of those clips and metal sludge and all that shit. 
And then I compound it by writing a heartfelt letter to Steve, like, dude, and explain, try to explain to him exactly. Here's what I've gone through. Here's what I'm, I've done. And here's what the extent of accomplishments and what, and what I suffered in this and that to be able to do this. What I do here's, here's what you're ripping and making fun of, you know? And what does he do? He just posts that makes fun of that too. I'm like, you motherfucker. I said, you laugh because you are a cocksucker and you make money out. But then I had to step away and think, well, personally, me and this guy have never in, in person had any altercations or anything like that. And it's all cordial and stuff. This guy's job, like mine, is to write and sing and play these, present these records, is to do that. So, you know, if you look at it that way, there's just no flip side where it can be vice versa. There's just no something that I can do to him because it's my job that hurts him so bad. Yeah, it's just frustrating. Yeah, it is. And so, you know, and, I'm, and here I am alone, plus with all the other shit going on and trying to have a voice to say, what the fuck, you know, to the ones that, that are still saying, man, you need, to, you need to stop being bitter and get back together with your band. I said, well, there's no band. There's no band to get back together again. Those two of those guys are dead. The other one, I have no idea where he slithered off to. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there's no band. There's just the bass player. I said, he's impossible to fucking work with. And he's a douche. You know what I mean? He's cheating you out of the best you could possibly get from this product. And so there's no band. There's no band to get back into. There's just me sticking my dick in my own fucking mouth, begging my way back into something that I so passionately but don't believe in. That's all there is by rejoining with that band. And I've even at one point in the last five years had reached out and said, I'd be willing to do a show or two with you just for the fans' sake, you know, because there'd be no work. I know there's 20 songs. I know that set list. And be no work, and I don't have to prepare. I just walk in there, and the fans would really dig it. Fans are really think it's special. And I reached out and I put that out there. That got shut down and smashed and stepped on. And so there's your guy. There's your boy for you. He's like flat out, no, I want it all about me. I don't give a fuck about you. I don't give a fuck about what the fans think. As long as I can bleed, squeeze every last tiny drop of heart and soul and your blood, sweat and tears out of this, ring it out of what, you know, the, the songs that I'm actually physically capable of singing. Till that day comes, I don't give a fuck about anything but me. So you actually approached it at one I point did. with him, and he shut it down. A couple of times. And in, in, in the last the last year point where, where I had left the band for, for a bunch of years, and he had gone on to do it himself, the first time he ever was made aware that he could do that without me. And it's like, I don't believe in other bands that I've seen, I don't believe that's possible for somebody to go on and, and do something without the guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even with Van Halen. Without Dave, that was the guy. Right. I mean, that's a voice you hear. Vince Neil, that's a voice you hear. They tried to do something better with better, but technically better fucking guys. Like Johnny Karabi with Molly Crew. Great fucking singer and artist. Great. You know, but it wasn't it wasn't that Vince's whiny pipes that you recognize and you're used to to associating with it and that that's your thing. And so that's what's happening to me, except that I'm not the guy, I'm not there. But you know, and, and it's being presented as if He's such a jagoff and he's such a loser and this and that. He's never going to get it together. So you take this or nothing. That's how he's presenting it. And so people are so grateful to him to continue on. And like one guy, this guy was a, a, a journalist just like you and said, puts on my Facebook page. He's earned it, Donnie. He's earned it. You haven't to be able to use the name and do this and that. He's worked and earned it. Why you fucked? I go, how has he earned it? You fucking asshole. How the fuck has he earned what he's doing to me? You're a fucking idiot. And I deleted him. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. And I know this whole show now is I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to do, I'm starting to do my own blog anyway and set things straight. And there's, 
all kinds of stories where rumors have become fact and misconception that just drag my name and my integrity through the fucking mud. And, and though I ri- try to rise above it and I need to, it hurts really badly. It hurts what he's doing to me. It hurts when people think these things. It hurts when people think negative things. When I, all I do is try so fucking hard to give him the best I fucking can. And it's not always what he's ruining by why he's medicating. You ever think that why would he be taking this shit? Why would this guy with all of this to doing this? Why would this guy be getting as fucked up as he can? Is there a reason for that? And does that ever enter anybody's minds with me? Whether it's good or bad, what you see is what you get. Yeah. I never hide anything. I never lie because I don't believe in that. You know, I'm not ashamed of all the shameful things I've done. <laughs> right. I'm not. Because you don't you don't you didn't take that left, you didn't get to this. You know what I mean? Uh, Three lefts make a right. Yeah, you gotta go through shit. Mm-hmm. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm content. I feel good about life. I've got a good support system. I got a good circle of really good things around me. I'm able to create exactly how I want to. I'm able to sit there and actually do this shit myself with my with my uh, laptop and a couple speakers and a microphone and an interface. You know, that's that's the sign, like you said, that's a sign of a true artist and a true song. You sit down there with a bare minimum. I don't record my demos on just a, a, like your phone recorder or anything like that because I want to hear the I want to hear the finished product already because I'm antsy. You know what I mean? And and I got no patience. I got ADHD, so it gives me something to do, and I'm building and creating it. Now that I think about it. I'm actually doing all the work. So now I can hand it and say, let's, all right, now let's do this sonically. You know, so it sounds great. And this and that. I just finished one yesterday, another new song. I'm chomping at the bit, man. It's time. It's, it's new record time right now, basically, because it was two years for that one even came out when it was finished for all these various reasons. The pled music ripoff fucking shit there. And then my health, I was in the hospital for, for a couple of months because my, uh, my pancreas melted. You know, (laughs) things like that. So it's been a long time. That's one thing I wanted to say, though, with that Pledge Music thing. What a fuckery piece of shit those fuckers are. And they took all of the money that everybody pledged. And not only did I not get a couple of bucks at the end of it, you know, for myself to help support or promote the record, you know, that needed to be done. I ended up having to take a not having to, but took a deal, a record deal that it didn't necessarily need. It did not affect the outcome of of what happened to the record, but I did it because I could get all of those CDs and all that stuff that for all those people actually pledged and buy them all myself out of whatever I'm going to make off this record and make sure that they all got them. Yeah. So, you know, that's, I mean, I don't think many people did that out of that situation. They got fucked. Artists got fucked. Everybody got fucked down the line. I mean, but I didn't do that. A lot of people got screwed on that pledge music and uh yeah, you did the you did the right thing and you took care of that it. That just tells you who I am right there. Right. You know? I it, it cost me you know what I don't even I'm not even embarrassed to say it. It's ridiculous. At the end of uh the first quarterly statement for that I get in a check, yeah. that's how much I made off this great fucking record. How much Can you hear your, let me see your guess. After you paid for the CDs? Yeah, recouped, paid for CDs, everything. My quarterly check. I have no clue. What would you think? What just like, just what would you think? I don't even know how to guess about something like that these days. What would you think it would at least be? Um, how many did you sell? I have no idea. Okay, <laughs> but but quite a few. A lot of a lot of good lion's share would have been pleasures. I don't know. Um, four hundred bucks. 
$337, yeah. I was close. <laughs> Damn, that's pretty good. Very close. And I'm insulted. Fuck you for thinking that low of me. <laughs> I don't, that's the thing is nowadays, like I have no way of knowing what kind of uh, money return people see on records that they put out independently. Like oh, I don't have don't. a clue. There's not a penny to be made on that. Not a penny. One, if, all you have to do is one guy get the record, one guy has to buy it and that's it. That's all it takes. Everybody else got has got it then. People are, you know, fucking jag offs. You know, they want I, to support the artist. They want the new music. They want this new stuff. They want you to maintain your integrity. They want you to make better stuff. This and that. But they don't want you to get anything for it. You know, and so it's now it's concerts and selling merchandise and concert tickets or eventually, uh, you know, kind of endorses or something like that. Yeah. You know, to, to give you any form of income. Well, it's going to be a lot of work, you know, and I don't, I haven't gotten that. I'm just putting that together right now. It's, I've never gotten made anything to begin with. Anything I ever made, big, huge, hearty checks. You know, my first million dollars was, went, had to go right back into attorneys. Yeah. Because of all the shit that happened with, uh, with enough, enough with the labels and the management and stuff that we had to sue our way out of or, or preventing getting sued and this and that. So it all went right back in. So I never made anything and, and it never was about that anyway. I don't need anything but one room with, uh, you know, a way to create what I'm doing. Toilet privileges, be able to go use the toilet so it's not a bucket. Yeah, you know, yeah, a well, microwave. That, that's good. A couple things to, a day to eat. And I'm, and I'm good, you know, you know, I don't need anything else. And, and so I have enough for that and I have good people and I can do that, you know, but I don't need anything else. You know, in the big money, I would have just used that for, uh, to, you know, for other people that I love in my life. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, let's face it, you know, it's like it, no matter how much money I got, I'm still going to be right in this little room doing this exact same thing because that's the only thing I want to do. And it's the only thing I'm married to. This comes number one. Yeah. So go out and pick up the new record, Beautiful Things by Donnie V. You can find everything Donnie V at his website, DonnieV.com, one word. Donnie, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate this conversation. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it. Thanks growing up, Rock. I grew up Rock, too. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.